There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners, hello video viewers, welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This is part three in a three-part series in which I've been reading murder mystery detective stories written by Peter Carlson on textadventures.co.uk. So we've had part one, the unopened safe, part two, the wraith. My detective skills have left a lot to be desired. They've been rubbish, frankly. Let's see if I can improve my detective skills here with part three, which which is called The Missing Masaccio. Uh, a, a precious piece of art has gone missing. What's going on in the mystery of the missing Masaccio? Italian listeners, you can tell me if I'm saying that word wrong. I don't know if you know the name, but anyway, let me know. Okay, everybody. Right. So here we go with part three, which is going to start right now. So here we go now. The Missing Masaccio, Odetta Art Gallery. You and Mardler walk through the grand hall of the Odetta Art Gallery. You're greeted by several other officers in the main hall, giving each other confused glances and looking for clues. So there's a couple of other police officers there. They're kind of mm, giving each other confused glances, looking for clues. Officer Reynolds gets you up to speed on the case. A priceless painting, portrait of a young man by Masaccio, was stolen last night, says Reynolds. He gestures to the wall where the painting was once displayed. Now there's a dark stain on the wall, a sickly blemish in the pristine gallery. So here we are looking for clues. Um, Reynolds, one of the police officers, gets us up to speed. To get someone up to speed is to um, update you. Okay? To give you all the information that you are missing, that everyone else knows that you don't know yet. So to get you up to speed, a priceless painting, portrait of a young man, was stolen last night. Da da da. We see where the painting was was once displayed. There's a dark stain on the wall, and the the missing painting is a blemish in the pristine gallery. A blemish is like a an imperfection, like a, maybe a little a damaged mark or something. The gallery curator, the person who organises the gallery, Bram Voss walks up to you. It's impossible, he cries. The main hall was was locked tight last night. I'm the only one with the key and there was no sign of forced entry, not to mention there were guards outside and none of them heard so much as a peep. So he thinks it's impossible. I'm instantly uh, suspicious of him, by the way. Instantly. Um... Anyway, it's impossible. The main hall was locked tight last night. I'm the only one with the key and there was no sign of forced entry. Forced entry, that's bang. That's when someone forces their way in. So like a broken window or a broken door or something. 
No sign of forced entry. Not to mention there were several guards outside, so several guards, and none of them heard so much as a peep. So not not so much as a peep means almost nothing, like like nothing, not even a peep. Whatever a peep is, I don't know, a very small noise, they didn't even hear that. Surely, surely someone could have made a duplicate key, says Mardler. I never leave it out of my sight, says Voss. He never leaves it out of his sight, so he can always he always knows where the key is. Mardler looks around the main hall. Are there any other ways someone could get in here? Doors, windows, none, says the curator. Okay, so we've got to investigate the grand hall of the Odetta Art Gallery. Let's have a look at the hall. You pass a few hanging paintings as you enter the Odetta Gallery. The darker realism of The Jaw by Leila Abadeli, contrasting with the beauty of Breeze by Horace Grogan. Like the brutal underbelly of London that you've grown so accustomed to facing and the society that you're each day trying to protect. Okay, so the paintings apparently sort of represent certain things to us, like the the, the jaw is the grim underbelly of London, and then the and then breeze, uh, a nice pastoral picture of a of a windmill is the uh, um, what is it, uh, the society that we're trying to protect. Okay, doesn't really tell us much. Um, the portrait of a young woman. Let's have a look at that. Oh. It looks like a real painting. Yeah. Painted by Masaccio in 1425. The painting arrived at the Odetta Art Gallery three days ago as their newest attraction. Hmm. Okay. Three days ago. There's a dark stain on the wall. It smells like garlic. Okay. Why would there be a garlic smell on the wall? That's very strange. It must be someone French. Actually, I've never noticed French people smelling of garlic. That is a kind of a, a myth or a stereotype that the French smell of garlic or that French people eat garlic all the time. It's just not true. I've never noticed it. Unless I've sort of become French now and I just also uh, embody the world of garlic and so I don't notice. But I don't think so. I never noticed the smell of garlic, which is a sort of stereotype. Anyway, forget about France and, and, and stuff. This is an Italian painting in a London gallery. But there's a stain that smells of garlic. That's very strange. Let's continue. A few hours pass as you interview employees at the gallery. I just water the plants mostly, says Diana Shearwater, as she brushes a strand of long blonde hair out of her eye. I just water the plants mostly. Mostly. Huh? So you do do other things, do you? Hmm? Like stealing paintings, maybe? Uh, that's not in the story. Um, so you don't know anything about the missing painting, Mardler says in not his accent. So you don't know anything about the missing painting, Mardler says as he sighs. <sighs> you better get back to work. I'm yet to see a healthy plant in this entire gallery. Ah, she waters the plants, but none of the plants are healthy. Maybe she's spending her time doing other things, like maybe planning the robbery of a precious painting. No help. The woman leaves you and Mardler to discuss the case. I'd say there are two routes we can take on this, says Mardler. Personally... I think this was orchestrated by none other than Bram Voss, the curator. He's the only one with the key that we know of. 
He has the painting insured, so he makes a profit if it gets stolen. The other lead is Luke Peterson. He was one of the few employees that helped move the painting three days ago when it was brought to the gallery, but he's been missing since. So Mardler suspects Bram Voss. He's got a key. Uh, the painting is insured, so he's going to get his money if uh, the painting goes missing. And then there's Luke Peterson, one of the employees who helped to move the painting three days ago when it was brought to the gallery. It's been missing since then. He's been missing. Luke has been missing since then. I think we've got to investigate this Luke Peterson guy. Not only because it's suspicious, but also because he's called Luke. And that, obviously, I need to, you know, continue that line of investigation. You and Mardler go across town to Luke Peterson's apartment. And you think, who is this imposter, this other Luke? Luke Peterson? We've got Peterson, we've got Thompson. Apparently, Peter... I wonder if Peter and Tom ever met each other. Anyway, Luke Peterson in Beale Street. Bram Voss said Peterson has always been on time, says Mardler, as you knock on Peterson's door. He's never skipped out on work like this before. So apparently he's never been absent or late before. Apparently Peterson has a sister that he's really close with, Eliana Peterson, but Voss didn't know her address. There's no response. Maybe one of his neighbours has a spare key, says Mardler. I'll go check around. Your partner leaves you as you pull two thin metal picks out of your pocket. Always come prepared. You're trying to figure out the right amount of pressure to apply. To distribute the correct pressure, enter the missing one-digit number. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Do I have to do some maths? So the difference between two and three is one, three, four, five, six, seven is four. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go for five. Yeah. <laughs> I got it right. I actually got a maths problem right. The sequence was two, three, blank, seven. I had to choose what was in the blank. And I went for five because... My reasoning was that between two and three, there's one. And I thought between three and five, there could be two. But I don't know. I, I was lucky, basically. Uh, apparently, they're all single-digit prime numbers. Um, so I managed to open the door. The tumblers shift with a satisfying click and Peterson's door swings open. You take a few steps in and find the apartment is empty. Mardler comes back. None of his neighbours had spare keys, he says. But it looks like that's not a problem because you've opened the door. I also checked with the neighbours and none of them have seen Peterson for the last couple of days. Where is Peterson? What's going on? Let's continue. There's no one in the apartment. It's tidy and quite modest, with no expensive furniture or clothing. The only thing of significant value that you notice is a gold watch beside Peterson's bed. So what do you think, says Mardler? Did Peterson... Uh, did Peterson get a split of the money for helping steal the painting and leave the city? So what happened? Did Peterson leave on his own or was Peterson taken against his will? Okay, so there's no one in the apartment. It's quite tidy, so no sign of a struggle. No expensive furniture or clothing. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look at that. 
Peterson has full drawers of cheap folded clothes. You spot one article of clothing that's unlike the others, a feminine scarf. Uh, Okay, so uh, Peterson's room is tidy and his clothes are neatly arranged in his drawers. It suggests that he didn't decide to leave because otherwise his clothes would have been packed, right? And also there's a feminine scarf. Isn't this the girl? Isn't there a girl or something? Eliana Peterson, his sister. Um, mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go back and check out the gold watch. You take a closer look at the gold watch, it looks expensive and brand new. Similarly, surely if you decided to go somewhere, you'd probably take an expensive gold watch with you, right? Rather than leaving it. I think... He's been taken against his will. Yes, I'm right. You're partly right, you say, to Mardler. I think Peterson came across some new money recently, probably related to the missing Masaccio. Masaccio. (laughs) How else can you explain the new gold watch among an assortment of cheap and modest belongings? Ah, so he got some money recently. He came across some new money because he's obviously bought himself a nice gold watch. But I don't think Peterson left by his own choice. He wouldn't have left this new watch behind. Right, that's what I thought. So he had a hand in stealing the painting. Then he was taken out by one of his partners in crime, says Mardler. He didn't talk about it to anyone at the gallery. The only person he may have mentioned anything to is his sister, but we don't know where to find her. Right, so so this uh, Peterson was involved in the theft, but then he it, one of the partners like uh, kidnapped him or something. The only person he may have mentioned this to was his sister, but we don't know where she is. Maybe we can use this, you say, holding up the feminine scarf you found among Peterson's things. This may be hers. Let's carry on. This slightly longer story. Oh my goodness, maps and things. Scotland Yard. So we're in Scotland Yard, the police headquarters. You bring the scarf back to Scotland. You bring the scarf back to Scotland Yard's lab, the laboratory, to to run a few chemical tests. With fine precision, you identify that the scarf is made of an uncommon Bulgarian fabric, and has traces of cumin as well as spearmint on it. Common Bulgarian spices. Do I have any Bulgarian listeners? Is this true? Cumin and spearmint, are these common Bulgarian spices? So apparently, so uh, looking at the scarf in the laboratory, we discover that it's, it's, it's Bulgarian. The scarf, uh, bits of pollen only found near... Uh, okay, the scarf also has bits of pollen only found near Odell trees, as well as diminutive traces of iron and zinc from London smog near heavy metal factories. Odell trees and some other iron and zinc, which means that this person was near some very heavy metal factories. You begin going over charts and maps of London, outlining the foliage patterns and the location of factories. So we need to kind of cross-section, cross-check something that's near the Odell trees and also near some factories. So Odell tree pollen on the map I can see is marked in green on the map. And then we've got Iron smog-producing factory neighbourhoods on the second map. And then we've got zinc-producing factories on the third uh, map. 
Okay, so we need to find the one place that is linked by these three things, where there's lots of pollen and also plenty of iron and zinc smog. So it seems I can forget the top left-hand corner because there's no uh, pollen there. The top right-hand corner, yes. So it could be... Okay, there's a spot in the top right-hand corner here, which is in the iron zone there, which also is in the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the zinc zone. But then there's double iron in this spot here, right? That's right in the centre of this. Uh, listeners, this might not be so interesting for you because you can just hear me talking, to, talking about a map. Um, but I might have to edit this bit out. Uh, but those, those ones, those two red lines go... Is it here? Hmm. Double, there's double, double zinc there. Hmm. Tricky. Very tricky. Very, very tricky. Wow, that's really hard. Cross-reference the maps to find a logical street where the scarf was often worn. Use all lowercase letters when inputting the name of the street. My God, this is really hard. Okay, I might have to edit this could be here right that bit is there is that commercial street is that what it's called that bit commercial street no no there's no pollen there just down here to this street here waterloo road could that be could that be good waterloo road yes at the top of the waterloo road just here the top of the Waterloo Road. I'm going to go Waterloo Road. Oh dear. I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. What? No. I was wrong. Mardler finds you at your desk, deep in maps and files about the different city districts. I just can't make any sense of these maps, you say. Mardler skims through your notes. Bulgarian spices and cloth... There's a Bulgarian market in the Cheapside neighbourhood. That's probably where the scarf came from, judging by the pollen and distance from factories. So it must be from Cheapside. That's not where I was looking, I think. Anyway, never mind. Let's continue. So, Cheapside, Bulgarian market. Cheapside is an area in London. And there is a Bulgarian market there, apparently. So, you and Mardler venture to the Bulgarian market and begin wandering past bustling stalls. Stalls, market stalls. Your senses are bombarded by smells and sounds as shoppers and, and shopkeepers rush by. Here, you say, finding a scarf in the identical style as the one you found at Peterson's apartment. It's hanging on a display rack outside a booth. The vendor, a large woman with raven hair, walks over to you and Mardler. Right, I've got to do a thick Bulgarian accent. I've got no idea what a Bulgarian accent is like. Can I help you? No, that's not right. I'm just going to do it in a... Uh, uh, I don't know what a Bulgarian accent is like, so I, instead I'm going to do this in a Liverpool accent. Can I help you? She asks through a thick... Bulgarian accent. We're looking for a customer of yours, says Mardler. She purchased this scarf. Her name is Eliana Peterson. The woman scratches her chin and looks at the scarf carefully. I only made a few of these, 
she says in a Bulgarian, not Liverpool accent. Oh, yeah, and I remember Eliana. She comes here all the time. In fact, I saw her no more than... I saw her no more than half an hour ago. She might still be in the market. In a brilliant Bulgarian and terrible Liverpool accent, the scarf vendor describes Eliana and tells you which shops she's most likely at, judging by the food and the vendor has seen her buy. Oh, God, that that was hard work, wasn't it? The scarf vendor describes Eliana and tells you which shops she's most likely at, judging by the food the vendor has seen her buy. Mardler tosses the woman a few coins and the two of you split up to search the market, asking people if they've seen someone fitting Eliana's description. So this woman, this Bulgarian woman, is giving us some clues to help us find Eliana. She might be in, in one part of the market. Let's continue. Eliana Peterson, you call out through a crowd to a woman that fits the description. She turns around and sees you wave to her, manoeuvring your way through the customers. Yes, that's me. Do I know you? Eliana asks in confusion. You introduce yourself and tell Eliana about the missing painting and Luke's mysterious disappearance. The two of you see Mardler and all three of you discuss the case. I knew he shouldn't have gotten involved with those crooks, cries Eliana. A crook is a criminal. I knew he shouldn't have gotten involved with those crooks, cries Eliana, a look of worry on her face. A couple of weeks ago, Luke mentioned a heist he was getting involved in. A heist is like a big organised robbery. He wouldn't get into detail. He thought the less I knew, the better. Surely there's something, says Mardler. Do you have any names of the crooks? I never got any names, says Eliana. She thinks for a moment, biting her lower lip. I saw one of them once, only for a second. I was going up to Luke's apartment as this big guy was leaving. He was this big, muscular Italian guy with a really big scar across his nose. Luke told me he was part of the heist. I'm sorry, that's all I know. Please find my brother. Right, let's find him. Time to go back and investigate Bram Voss, says Mardler. Okay, let's go back to Bram Voss. Remember, he was the guy who organises the gallery where the painting went missing. I asked Bram Voss where he was last night, says Mardler, as the two of you walk past a lush ficus into his office. I suppose a ficus is a kind of a plant, is it? Yeah, it's a sort of a, it's a fig tree, is it? Okay, so we walk past a lush fig tree into his office. Uh, da, da, da. He told me he was out on the water on his boat. Then he went home to his wife but I think he was hiding something. Not much of an alibi. So apparently this Bram Voss has got an alibi. He was out on his boat and then he went home to his wife. Hmm, out on your boat, really? You study Voss's desk. There are files, calendar events, office supplies, a flower, a picture frame facing down. Nothing blatantly in incriminating and nothing that strengthens his alibi. If something is blatant, it means it's really obvious. And if something is incriminating, it means it it, um, it it proves that you're guilty. It shows that you're guilty of a crime. Okay, if something's inc- incriminating evidence, evidence that proves that someone did a crime. And none of the stuff that we can see helps his alibi that he was on a boat. If we could pressure Voss, I know he's something... 
I know he's holding something back, says Mardler. So we're going to pressure him with a fact. So what's the fact that we're going to pressure him? That he has a secret drug habit, that he's having an affair, that he's abusive to his wife. Okay, so he's got a lush fig tree in his office. Okay. He was on his boat. This is his alibi. Then he went back to his wife on the desk. There are files, calendar events, office supplies, a flower. What's the flower? The flower is weak and withered. It doesn't get much attention. There's a small note tied to it that reads from Leela, your loving wife. You notice a stray, long blonde hair on the desk. Mm-hmm. A long blonde hair. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Do you remember there was that girl who watered the plants? Do you remember her? And I just water the plants mostly. Oh, so you do some other things. And the plants were all looking very unhealthy. But then, hey, hey, look, in his office, there's a fig tree that's very healthy. Um, and she had blonde hair. I think he's having an affair. I think he's having an affair with the girl who's supposed to water the plants. But only, apparently, um, the only thing getting watered is the fig in his office. Fig tree. So, I think I know. But let's have a look at the picture facing down. You lift up the picture. It's a photograph of Bram Voss and his wife. So he puts it down when uh, his girlfriend comes in because he doesn't like looking at it. Okay, he's definitely having an affair. Let's click that. Yes, deduction success. Bram Voss, you say, as you stride over to the paranoid curator. Where were you last night? I told your partner I was on the river for some time. Then I went home to my wife, he says. Your wife? You repeat coldly. Does she know about Diana Shearwater? Diana, Voss says nervously. What about her? She just works here. What exactly does she do here? She told us she mostly just cares for the plants. But from what I can tell, the ficus outside your office is the only one she spends any time on. Now I figure you're not the one caring for it because the flower on your desk given to you by your wife goes neglected. I also found one of Mrs Shearwater's blonde hairs in your office near an overturned photograph of your wife. Is it guilt that makes you block the picture? Stop, stop, says Voss, putting his hands putting his hands up defensively. Look, my wife doesn't have to know anything that goes on here. What do you want from me? Where were you last night? Suddenly becoming Liam Neeson. Where were you last night? I'm Liam Neeson, and you'll tell me. Quite, an, quite a frightening Liam Neeson impression. Um, Bram Voss looks down at his shoes. I was with Diana. We had dinner at the Bellsbury. In fact, I made a reservation. I'm sure I'm in their records. Plus, anyone on their staff can vouch for my whereabouts. Was that so hard, Mr. Voss? says Mardler. Okay, so Bram Voss having an affair with the girl at the gallery um, and he was out with her at a restaurant. Uh, there's probably a booking in his name, but he lied about that because he didn't want his wife to know that he's having an affair. So maybe he's not involved, but let's see. You and Mardler confirm with the waiters at the Bellsbury. They all agree that Voss and Shearwater were here last night for a long time. After a quick trip to Voss's house, his wife and neighbours confirm that he was at home all night. Hmm. So not Voss, apparently. Back to Scotland Yard. Without much evidence to work off of, 
The case starts going cold. How did Luke Peterson and his accomplices get the painting through a locked door without alerting any guards? A week passes before the case gets a new lead. A new thing to investigate. Mardler finds you at your desk and brings you to the morgue where the medical examiner is, is investigating a dead body that washed up on the shore of the Thames. So a body is washed up on the, the banks of the River Thames and that's been taken to the morgue, the place where the bodies are kept. And uh, we're going to investigate. You take one look at the body. A large Italian man with a deep scar on his nose. And immediately think of Eliana Peterson. You flip through the medical examiner's notes and study the corpse. Corpse. So we need to work out how he died. Was it drowning, poisoning or <coughs> strangulation? Let's have a look at the body. The victim's hands have bruises from pinches and faded burns from steam. Bruises from pinches. His, his hands have been pinched. That's kind of like grabbed or squeezed. And burns from steam. Steam is like, you know, when water boils. They're speckled with ink as well. His complexion is pale and he doesn't have any tan lines from clothes. The victim was wearing a Brereton wristwatch that is in good condition. This brand was discontinued a few years ago. He's got bruises and pinches on his hands and he's got burns from steam and ink on them. He's pale, but he doesn't have any tan lines. He was wearing a, a good wristwatch. The brand was discontinued a few years ago. I've getting nothing from that. Let's have a look at the medical examiner's notes. The victim's skin and throat were irrit are irritated and appear to be chemically burned. The report indicates that there's no water in the victim's lungs. Chemical burn. Mm, no water. So not drowning. Um, mm -hmm. It's poison. I'm going for poison. Yes. There's air in this body's lungs, you say. That means he was killed before going into the water. There's no exterior wounds. But his respiratory tract and skin is irritated, so he was most likely poisoned. The, no wounds on the outside, no exterior wounds, but there's irritation on the inside, so he was poisoned. The victim worked indoors or outdoors? I think he worked indoors because there's no tan lines on his skin. Yes. Look at his pale complexion, you say. He probably worked indoors. Indoors? Indoors. He worked in a school, in a kitchen, or in a printing press. It's got to be in a printing press because there's ink on his hands. Look at the pinches on his fingers. Burns from steam and spots from ink, you say, gesturing to the corpse's hands. Common battle scars from working at a printing press. His watch is an older model that's been discontinued, yet it's in great condition, indicating our victim didn't wear his watch often. This is because he took his watch off while operating the printing press. Ah, clever. So what about this guy then? You and Mardler spend the next day, couple of days investigating printing presses around the city. Two days after finding the dead Italian, you come to the Daily Outlook, a small newspaper company. The owner identifies the dead man's description as, as Ermet Dioli, one of his workers that hasn't shown up the past couple of weeks. One of the workers at the Daily Outlook the newspaper printing press, gives you Dioli's address and you find yourself at his apartment in the early afternoon. There's no response as expected and you get out your lock picks as Mardler looks for another way in. 
Enter the correct one-digit number to apply the right amount of pressure to the lock. Oh, no. Uh, okay. Um, this is where you add the numbers up together, isn't it? Look, 1 plus 1 is 2. 1 plus 2 is 3. 2 plus 3 is 5. 3 plus 5 is, is 8. Yep. Another maths problem solved. The Fibonacci sequence, a common mathematical pattern in nature, goes 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, in which every number is equal to the sum of the last two numbers. Click. You walk into Dioli's cluttered home and begin snooping around, looking around. Mardler comes back around to the front door and he looks for clues as well. After 15 minutes of searching, Mardler grabs your attention. Look at this, he says. He hands you an open envelope full of banknotes and a short message. Dioli, there will be more of this once Luke Peterson is taken care of. There will be more of this once Luke Peterson is taken care of. More of what? More, oh, more money. There'll be more money when Luke... So, yeah, this is from the person who killed Luke Peterson, apparently. The penmanship on the note is strikingly distinct. You furrow your brow, meaning you kind of frown, and think back to the Odetta gallery. Who had the same writing? Leila Abadeli had the same writing. Horace Grogan has the same writing. Bram Voss has the same handwriting. Oh dear, I can't remember. Leila, okay, I don't, I don't remember Leila Abadeli and Horace Grogan. I'm going to go randomly for Leila Abadeli. And of course, I'm right. Just pure luck. I recognise this artist artistic pen stroke, you say, peering closely at the envelope. There was a painting at the Odetta Gallery, The Jaw by Leila Abadeli. The E's and dots on the eyes are dead giveaways. I'm sure of it. The more you study the envelope, the more you confirm minute similarities between the envelope and Abadeli's signature. So Leila Abadeli apparently is the one who wrote the note saying there will be more money when Luke Peterson is taken care of. Apparently she is involved in this. Uh, back to the Odetta Gallery. You and Mardler go back to Bram Voss and he tells you about Leila Abadelli, a budding Italian artist in London. He gives you her last known address and the two of you venture to Wilford, Wilford Street in search of the artist. Now here we are in Wilford Street. That's the third empty house we've had to break into, barks Mardler after forcing Abadelli's door. No one's here! The house is cluttered with piles of notebooks and portraits, mountains of art supplies teetering on the brink of collapse. Lots of stuff that could fall over. You start fanning through sketchbooks and pushing through unfinished portraits. According to the dates on her work, Abadelli had been studying and trying to replicate Portrait of a Young Man by Masaccio. Some of Abadelli's recent work looks identical to Masaccio's. So what, did someone take out Abadelli as well? says Mardler, as he sifts through notes and, unop and unopened letters. I guess there's no honour among thieves after all. So, OK, Abadelli apparently is an artist, and she'd been practising copying this Masaccio painting, the one that went missing. But maybe she got uh, killed as well, because she apparently has disappeared. Who do you think this man is, you say, as you flip through a sketchbook? It's the same man from the jaw portrait at the Odetta Gallery. There are multiple sketchbooks full of this picture. Who is this man? 
you pull sheets off paintings under easels and find another portrait of that same disfigured man, his jaw swollen and deformed. The portrait is so breathtakingly realistic, you feel as though you're gazing upon a photograph. You carefully study the stars in the background of the portrait. Maybe this can help you locate where it was painted. The constellation that Abadeli painted was Ursa Major, Orion, or Cygnus. Okay, so Abadeli's been painting this same person with a sort of a, a swollen jaw. Let's have a look at the portrait. So realistic, it could be a photograph. It looks like Staffordshire bricks construct the fireplace. So we look at the picture. Uh, which this version is not quite like a photograph, it's just a little sketch. But apparently there are some Staffordshire bricks that construct the fireplace of that picture. Staffordshire, that's in England, okay? A sort of like uh, near the Midlands, near Wolverhampton, near the Black Country. Okay, so you carefully study the stars in the background of the portrait. Hey, okay... Uh, I'm looking now at a constellation of stars with one of them called Deneb. Okay, Deneb star constellation. Cygnus. Deneb is the most distant star in the Earth's sky, living thousands of light years away from Earth. The star is in the tail of the constellation Cygnus, the swan and from Earth's perspective, is in the same area of sky as gas clouds that fill the constellation's area. Okay, so it's Cygnus. Thanks, Google. As we go back, and then we choose Cygnus here. Yes. Ah, yes, Cygnus, the swan that lays on the band of the Milky Way. The formation of stars Abadeli painted in the background are found in the western portion of the sky, you say. We can, tr we can deduce that this portrait was painted on the eastern shore of the Thames. We'll just have to find the home on the eastern shore of the river that has a large Staffordshire brick fireplace and similar architecture. Oh my God, this adventure is going on and on. Let's, let's get to the bottom of it. Scotland Yard forms teams of detectives to scour the bank of the Thames. So they're looking for this home which has similar architecture where the painting was done. You, This is where we maybe are going to find this man with the weird jaw. You and Mardler are still profiling houses as the sun begins to set, lighting the evening red sky like a glow, like glowing coal. Wait, Mardler, look! You stop the fellow detective and point up to a house down the street. That house has the same type of windows, brick and fireplace. It overlooks the view from Abadeli's painting as well, a perfect fit for our profile. The two of you hurry over to the house. Mardler goes back around as you knock on the door. You peer into the mailbox and see letters addressed to Lazaro Uccello. The door creaks open as sliver and the man with the disfigured jaw stares out at you. Who the hell are you? He coughs. I just need to ask you a few questions, you say. The man's eyes grow wide and he slams the door shut. You catch the door and push back against him, sending him stumbling backward. Uh, he gets back onto his feet and starts running for the back door. Layla, let's go, he cries out. Not so fast, Mardler's voice echoes through the home. 
You continue into the living room and see Mardler holding the disfigured man and Layla at gunpoint, stopping them from escaping out of the back door. So Mardler's holding them at gunpoint like this. So I need to investigate some things. The door creaks open. A sharp odour of harsh chemicals hits your nose. So this is maybe the chemical killer. Um, and the disfigured man... You get a better look at the man, Lazaro Uccello. He has a small he has small chemical burns on his fingers and marks on his cheeks from the use of safety goggles. There's a look of dread in his eyes. This maybe is the like the killer the chemical killer guy. You're under arrest, Lazaro Uccello and Leila Abadelli, you say as they breathe heavily in Uccello's living room. On what grounds? cries Leila. We haven't done anything. Under suspicion of murdering Luke Peterson. Ermet Dioli, and for stealing portrait of a young man from the Odetta Gallery, you say. That's preposterous, laughs Uccello in an Italian accent. Where's your evidence, detective? The Masaccio's disappearance was ghost-like and perplexing. But of course, you worked out the details of the mysterious vanishing painting. The chemical that brought this entire case together was... An element of the periodic table of elements. Oh, blimey. An element of the periodic table... Ah, God, what chemical, what metals have we been dealing with here? Oh, I've no idea, listeners, viewers. I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to just say AU, which is gold. No. What happened to the portrait of a young man? It was it was destroyed. No. Oh, God. The painting was stolen, but when? When it was being moved, I reckon. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. You led Scotland Yard on a merry chase, you say meaning you, you made us, you, you made a complicated series of things for us to work out, as if giving the art thieves a nod of respect. Your plan began with Leila Abadelli practising her artwork to mimic Masaccio's. She toiled at her work, meaning she worked really hard, until she made a near-exact replica of a of portrait of a young man, too exact for anyone other than an expert to tell the difference. With the help of Lazaro Uccello, the chemist, you created a time-triggered white phosphorus mechanism inside the painting. Your use of white phosphorus became apparent to me so it's phosphorus, uh, when the remaining chemicals smelled like garlic by the fact that Ermit Dioli was obviously poisoned with white phosphorus and your disfigured jaw, Lazaro Uccello. Uccello takes a step back, your words seeming to physically bite into him. <sighs> yes, a condition commonly known as fossy jaw caused by overexposure to white phosphorus in which your jawbone and teeth begin to abscess and rot away, you continue. Ugh. You paid Luke Peterson to switch the time-delayed forgery with the original painting, which he executed flawlessly. Now, with the original painting in your possession, you only had to wait for the white phosphorus to activate, dissolving the fake and making it appear as if an impossible art theft had occurred. So they basically, they switched the paintings when it was being delivered. They switched it with a fake. The fake was uh, had an, uh, a timed mechanism that would make it dissolve making it look like the painting had been stolen in an impossible way, but actually it already had been stolen during the moving. Hmm. You could sell the original for a fortune. You paid Ermet Dioli to kill Luke Peterson, then realised Dioli knew too much and took him out as well, meaning take him out means kill him, with white phosphorus poison. Uccello slumps down into his chair, defeated. <sighs> 
I just wonder what would have happened next had we not arrived, you say. Would you, Uccello, have killed Abadelli out of greed or the other way around? Abadelli turns and bolts towards the door. Freeze, shouts Mardler. So what should we do? Freeze? <clears throat> should we chase her or should we pull the rug out from under her? I think we're going we're gonna to have to rug her, aren't we? Uh, that that expression came up in the Mysterious Al episode to rug someone. Let's rug let's rug her. Come on, yes, the right thing. You yank the rug that she is running on, causing her to lose her balance and crash up against the wall below the window. Window. Mardler tackles Abadelli and restrains her. After a short search through the home, you find Uccello's makeshift lab and the original portrait of a young man. A painting worth killing for. Case closed. We did it. We did it. Okay, you know what, listeners, viewers, uh, I had to actually refresh the page a couple of times. You missed that in the edit, but I had to refresh the page a couple of times because the the website bugged. And so although I did solve the unopened safe and the wraith, uh, the website thinks I didn't. And I understand that if you do all three mysteries and solve them, then it gives you a, it, you can unlock a new mystery. But unfortunately, I can't do that this time because, as I said, refreshing the page meant that the other two mysteries come up as unsolved. But I think that's probably time to stop. So there was the unopened safe, the uh, the sort of Downton Abbey situation with a guy uh, who had killed himself but made it look like a murder so that his family could still claim insurance. There was the Wraith, which turned out to be one of the detectives from Scotland Yard working in cahoots with a, another criminal. And then there was the missing Massaccio, which is where a group of people working at the... Um, gallery i think moving a painting had worked out they could switch the painting for a an elaborate forgery which was timed to self-destruct and then the people involved in the crime killed off a number of the other gang members in order to take as much money as they possibly could okay so that was mystery story number three the missing masaccio did my detective skills improve? Not really. I'm pretty rubbish as a detective, as you can see. But maybe you could give it a go because you can go to textadventures.co.uk and play all of these games, um, including all the ones by Peter Carlson, which I've done on this podcast. And some time ago, Peter actually did get in touch with me by email uh, after I did one of his stories on the podcast and he liked it. And I asked if I could do more of his stories and he was totally fine with that. So uh, that's why I've done so many Peter Carlson stories, but they're always entertaining. So thank you very much to Peter for his work. And uh, listeners, I recommend that you all go to textadventures.co.uk to play these stories uh, because it can be a lot of fun and it could be very good for your English. So there you go, three stories for you. um, And that is the end of this series. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I'm now going to let you just get back to your normal life. Uh, Thank you for spending some more time in podcast land here in Lepland. And I will speak to you soon in another episode. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.